0: gentlemen and they'd be had they'd have their notebook out they have their bible out and they're taking notes anybody ever seen that happen in church it's awesome right you see you see that happen in church they're taking their notes and they they're writing it down and they're wanting to remember and they're, they're because they, they they want what what is being said to to be lasting they don't want to forget it they want to be able to go back and in and look back and say, okay, this is, oh, I remember when pastor preached on that and and, and, and how the Lord used, used the pastor in that. I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. I love looking around and seeing folks taking notes. It, it, it just, it just, it warms my heart because I know that if you're taking notes, you're listening, but you're not just listening, you're listening with purpose. You're listening with purpose. You're listening, purpose. You're listening because, so when you're you're taking notes and maybe you're taking notes on your on your on your iPad or you're taking notes on your phone or you're bringing actual actual piece of paper and pen if anybody does that anymore, my wife is all about paper and pen and it's weird, but it's just what she likes. Um, but I encourage you and, and I encourage you to take notes. I encourage you to to bring that pad and that pencil and, and that pen and 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 begin to get out and, and, and listen if you're taking notes. You're not going to be texting, you're not going to be looking on Facebook, you're not going to be surfing your Instagram or DM, DMing people, you're not going to be watching another church service while you're sitting here, but you're engaged in what God is doing, and listen, God speaks through his word, and God speaks to the church through his word, and God speaks to the church through And God gives the pastor words if the pastor is praying and seeking God to speak to the people. And so I believe that if we will be intentional, not just to show up, I'm here to love you and preach the word and pray for you and give guidance and direction to this body. And the way we do that is by digging into the word together. So this morning we're going to finish up Luke's account of Jesus' sermon on the mount. We've heard Jesus telling us Uh, who is blessed and and telling us who needs a warning. He said, blessed are the poor, the hungry, the the mourning, the despised because of Jesus. And he said, woe to you who are rich, you who are full, you who are laughing, you who are self-promoting, woe to you. He's taught us that Loving our enemies reveals the goodness and the grace of God, that Jesus is God turning the other cheek, that Jesus is God giving us more than we took, that Jesus is God loving his enemies. This morning, though, we're going to look at what we're going to call three opposites. Jesus is going to preach the good news of the kingdom of heaven by, by contrasting three easily understood analogies. Right, a speck of sawdust and a log, a good tree and a bad tree, a rock foundation and no foundation. They're easily understood, they're simple to grasp, but they are profound in their simple truth. They are profound in their application. We're going to start by seeing what Jesus says in reading for, and reading. And how many of you ever heard somebody say, you can't judge me, don't judge me. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever said that? judge me it is it's everyone who gets caught sitting's favorite verse don't judge me everyone's favorite quote when they don't want to be challenged or they don't want to be called out if someone is going to quote jesus chances are good it's going to be from the sermon on the mount but not the parts that challenge them but the part that we think gives them a pass To do what we want to do. Don't judge me. You can't judge me. Let's start there. Luke chapter 6. You got your Bible. Luke chapter 6, verse 37, 38. Do not judge, Jesus says, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The measure you use to judge or condemn is the measure that it will be used back to you, Jesus says. See, well, there it is, though. There it is. Jesus said it right there. Do not judge. Jesus said it. Jesus said, don't condemn. Jesus said it. You can't tell me what to do. That's what Jesus said. You can't tell me how to live. That's what Jesus said. I mean, that's that's great if you want to say that, but you're wrong. That's not what Jesus said. That's not what Jesus meant. This whole section of scripture is Jesus telling us how to live. See, we live in an age of hyper-tolerance. Tolerance no longer means forbearing with one another or accepting in love even while you disagree. Tolerance now means acceptance and agreement, right? Tolerance now means even to celebrate. You you almost have to celebrate even things you you don't believe in or agree with tolerance over the years over the past several years has changed in its definition to meaning just agreeing to mean or being agreement without being disagreeable or disagreement without being disagreeable to even celebrating and let's be clear let's let's be clear this demand of this new tolerance is all around us right our nation has become hyper-tribalized and we cancel anyone who's not on our side. We cancel anyone who's not in our tribe. And to think and if you think cancel culture is something new, you did not grow up in the 80s or the 90s when 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 evangelicals were canceling Kmart and canceling everything. Cancel culture isn't new. It's just because we have gotten so tribalized over the past several years Everyone's looking to cancel everyone. And we are more and more drawing lines to define who is on our side and we're quick to other anyone who doesn't check all of our demands. It's easier to other someone than it is to love someone. We do it in the church. We do it in politics. We do it in Culture, and we do it on multiple levels. Now, now listen, I want you to hear this. There's nothing wrong with having different opinions. There's nothing wrong with disagreeing. But there is something wrong with dehumanizing someone because of their different opinion. I believe, church, that there are many things that demand zero tolerance. There are many things that I will not compromise my belief on. I believe God exists. I believe men and women are image bearers of God, created in God's image and have sacred intrinsic value and dignity. I believe that all have sinned And fall short of the glory of God. I believe that scripture is the authoritative word of God. I believe Jesus is God made flesh, the full revelation of God to the world. Born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, is the son of God. I believe that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is God reconciling all things back to himself. I believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, I believe in the God eternally existing in three persons, one God, three persons, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit and in the work done by the Spirit. I believe that Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the resurrection of, unto eternal life for the righteous and resurrection unto eternal death for the wicked. I believe in the eternal reign of Christ and that those who are his will dwell with God forever. These are doctrinal truths that I hold fast to will not compromise on. There are other doctrinal statements and beliefs and things that I may believe and hold fast to but but I'm not going to fight somebody over. Doctrines I may not hold as tightly and have room for disagreement. believe in believers baptism that's what I practice that's what I believe that's what I believe scripture bears out but I'm not going to fight somebody that sprinkles somebody I may disagree with them but even this week I have some friends that had someone with special needs that they had to baptize they couldn't immerse them but God is gracious so they baptized Issues of faith that I won't compromise on that stem from my core beliefs, those things that I said a while ago. I'm pro-life. I believe in the sanctity of life all life. And I believe the sanctity of life should be protected all life. The sanctity of life should be protected, defended, and preserved. I believe that God's design for humanity is good. God's design, his creative design is good. And that every person is an image bearer of God and should be seen as an image bearer of God. I believe that racism devalues God's image bearers and it's a rejection of God's creative intent and is sin. I believe that God's design for sexuality and gender is revealed in creation of male and female. That our sexual expression and our gender identity should not contradict our anatomy. And that our sexual pleasure should be found within the covenant of monogamous male-female marriage. And any rejection of those things are a rejection of God's creative intent and design and his sin. I believe justice is the work of the church. And I believe in standing against oppression and pursuing justice. I have other practical beliefs that flow from my understanding of Scripture and those core practical beliefs. But here's the point. Jesus, when he's telling us not to judge, is not telling us to abandon scriptural truths. He's teaching us to recognize where we fall short before demanding perfection in others. We cannot judge by our personal preferences, our personal convictions, or our personal standards, or even the standards of our tribe we have to judge righteously jesus said in john chapter 7 verse 24 stop judging accord uh, stop judging according to outward appearance Rather, judge according to righteous judgment. Jesus actually said this statement about judging according to righteous judgment after healing a man on the Sabbath. When people were criticizing and Pharisees were criticizing and looking to condemn him. Jesus said, don't judge on appearances, judge by righteous judgment. Righteous judgment. The standard of judgment is found in Jesus Christ. It's full of grace and it's full of truth. It forgives and it gives back. It seeks to bring restoration and not condemnation. Did you hear that? Righteous judgment seeks to bring restoration and not condemnation. So in this type of righteous judgment, there are things that we do not compromise on, while at the same time seeking not to condemn, but to restore. We long to bring righteousness into the world, and to others following the pattern that was set out by Jesus. Never condoning sin, never devaluing the sinner. What does that look like? What does that look like? I want to give you an example this week of of how I responded to a question that was given to our church's social media about our view of LGBTQ+. they, they asked us, they, they asked if, how we feel about LGBTQ plus people and if our church is open to everyone. And, and here's how I responded because I believe that this is, this is good for the church to hear. We believe every person, this is, this is the response, we believe every person has value and worth as an image bearer of God. That God loves everyone regardless of who they are, where they come from. We believe we are also called to love as God loves, to love as Jesus loves. We believe that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, the sinner, of which we were all sinners by nature and by choice and in need of God's, of, and in need of Jesus' grace and mercy. Our prayer is that New City Church will be a place where everyone feels love, finds hope, and grows in faith. We also believe that God has designed human sexual expression to be found within the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. And if you have any more questions about LGBTQ issues and faith, we recommend the book, Gay Girl, Good God, by author, poet, artist, Jackie Hill Perry. And we would also love to invite you to church this Sunday where we will preach the good news of Jesus' life-giving grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in godly obedience in every area was how we first replied and responded. And while I mentioned this book, Gay Girl, Good God, I want to encourage you, encourage it to you. I, I, I endorse and encourage you to read Gay Girl, Good God if you have questions about LGBTQ plus issues. I'm just going to read the back cover. I used to be a lesbian. In Gay Girl, Good God, author Jackie Hill Perry shares her own story, offering practical tools that helped her in the process of finding wholeness. Jackie grew up fatherless, experienced gender confusion, and embraced both masculinity and homosexuality with every fiber of her being. She knew that Christians had a lot to say about all of the above, but was she supposed to change herself? How was she supposed to stop loving women when homosexuality felt more natural to her than heterosexuality ever could? At age 19, Jackie came face to face with what it means, face to face with what it means to be made new. And not in a church contact with christians god broke in and turned her heart toward him right in her own bottom uh, uh, right in her own bedroom in light of his gospel read in order to understand read in order to hope or read in order like jackie to be made new encourage you to read this check this book out if you have questions and and, and would like because in so I, I, we, we asked that. And then this person asked another question. They said, then they asked specifically about, about transgender issues. And I just, I just wanted to share these things with you this morning. And so the answer that, that I provided was this. While we recognize that there are people who struggle with gender dysphoria, we do not believe that embracing a transgender lifestyle is part of God's good design for humanity. We believe scripture is clear in regards to our sexual biology and gender, that God created humanity in the image of God, male and female, God created us, and that create and that creative intent and biological distinction reveals something about the goodness and the beauty of God. In that creation, the gendered maleness and femaleness of our person is at least in part connected to our biological sex. In other words, our physiology and gender are not wholly distinct, but are bound together. Our anatomy and our gender identity should tell the same story. And after one more question about this same idea, I answered with this. We believe that our gender identity is connected to our embodied sex at birth. That God's design for our gender is connected to our anatomy. That even pre-birth, there is sexual design. We should say, what we would say that living as transgender is not God's design for humanity. We also desire our church to be a place where everyone is welcome to hear the good news of Jesus and his design for our lives. From sexual expression to salvation, we believe scripture reveals God's good plan for humanity. And you are invited to come hear that good news. If you're asking if we affirm LGBTQ plus sexuality and gender expression? The answer is no. We do not affirm sexual expression that we believe is clearly outside of God's design revealed in Scripture. We also believe God is good and gracious enough to send Jesus to rescue us from our rebellion, redeem us from the curse of sin, and reorder our affections towards His good plan for our lives as revealed in Scripture. Why am I sharing? I believe it is possible to communicate the truth of Scripture without being confrontational and without being mean-spirited and without being ugly. It's possible to stand without compromise while also treating others with dignity as image bearers of God. Righteous judgment requires demonstrated this grace and truth and this humility a splinter and a beam Luke chapter 6 verse 39 through 42 he tells them this parable can the blind guide the blind won't they both fall into a pit a disciple is not above his teacher but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye or how can you say to your brother brother Let me take out the splinter that is in your eye when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye. Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Righteous judgment requires humility. The thing about a plank in your eye is that it blocks your vision. The thing about a speck of sawdust in your eye is that it clouds your sight. A splinter and a beam. A speck and a plank. You cannot remove the splinter in someone else as long as you have a beam in your own eye. You're blind. If there's a beam in your eye, you are blind. You cannot see. The blind cannot guide the blind. They both fall into a ditch. The teacher will be like, or the student will become like the teacher, and they'll both fall in the ditch together. You cannot guide someone. You're blind. You cannot lead them because you'll lead them into a pit because you are blind. You're blind. Jesus doesn't say, don't worry about the splinter in your neighbor's eye. Jesus is very concerned about their vision, but Jesus is very concerned about their walk. As a matter of fact, Jesus is so concerned that they don't fall into a pit that he teaches us to get the plank of, out of our own eye so that we can help them get the speck out of there. We cannot help them until we come to grips with our own need of help. We cannot effectively remove a splinter until we've allowed this beam removal process to fix our own sight. They're not going to listen to us, first of all. They'll be like, "Why, "Why? look at you. Look at the beam in your eye. Why should I listen to you? You can't see anything. Jesus is not telling us not to care about those, the other people who are, have, have a speck in their eye. Jesus is not telling us not to be concerned for those who are lost and are blind and are broken. He's telling us to be so concerned with them that we do whatever it takes to get the plank out of our eye so we can help them. more aware, because of my position as a pastor, that the church today has a big old plank. And until the church gets that plank resolved, the world is not going to cannot remove their splinter until we've allowed the plank to be removed hypocrites are not helpful hypocrites are not helpful will cry out and the P.A. will make noise. Hypocrites aren't helpful, but healed, humble people bring healing. I'll say it again. Hypocrites aren't helpful, but healed, humble people bring healing. The next thing Jesus talks about is good trees and bad trees. Healing. Let's, let's stay on this idea of Healing. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 1 through 5, it says, Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and there will, be no, there will no longer be any curse. Come on. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The healing of the nations comes from good trees. Good trees get their water from the river of life. Jesus said that out of our bellies would flow rivers of living water. And when he said that, he was speaking of the Spirit working in the church. When we let the Spirit do the work in the church that that God wants the Spirit to do in the church, we bring life, we bring good fruit, we bring healing to the nations. But we have to allow the Spirit to do the work. Spirit people are called to bring healing. Spirit people are called to bear good fruit. Hypocritical people do not bring healing, they bring harm. They bear bad fruit. This is what Jesus is talking about. When church becomes a business and not a community, serving and seeking God together. That beam grows. When the church becomes a place of entertainment, before it becomes a spirits and people don't bring healing. That doesn't bring healing to the nations. It just causes more hurt. Listen to me, church. People matter. People matter. The job of the church is not to chew people up and spit not to advance the church, it's to advance the kingdom of Christ. The job of the church is not to advance and build an empire. The job of the church is to build the kingdom. People matter. And church, I'm just being honest, being Jesus, we saw that in the video earlier. Jesus came for people. Jesus lived for people. Jesus died for people. Jesus, re, Jesus was resurrected and raised to life for people. People matter. And if we, as the church, are just willing to. Other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stood up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of Tree. A good tree comes from good roots. Good roots come from good nourishment, good water, good soil, good sun. Let me ask you, where have you put your roots? Where where have you placed your tree? What kind of soil are your roots in? What kind of sun and are you getting sun? And are you getting water? What kind of roots? Where have you you have placed your roots in places that give bad nourishment, don't expect to produce good fruit. If you're listening to carnal ideas and carnal attitudes and carnal thoughts all day long, don't expect to produce spiritual good fruit. You're going to produce soil something else that we can easily understand from this analogy is that good and bad are evident it doesn't require sitting in judgment or sitting in condemnation of someone to recognize the quality of their fruit it doesn't require sitting in judgment or in condemnation of someone to see if their fruit is good or bad it's plain It's obvious. It's right out there in front of everyone. Everyone gets to see the fruit. Sometimes we try to polish up the bad fruit so we can try to trick someone. But sometimes they just put the fruit right in your mouth and you can't help but taste it. You can't help but taste it. Whether it's good or it's bad, you know that they had just shoved it down your throat and you just hope it's good fruit. life-giving or its death it's healing or it's destructive it's good or it's evil the soil matters the foundation matters where you place your roots matter where you build your life matters solid or soily solid or sandy where you build your life matters whether or you not you follow the building plans makes a huge difference in the structural integrity of the house. Hebrews 11.10 tells us, Abraham was looking forward to a city whose builder and architect was God. The design firm matters. It matters so much that Jesus demands obedience to his word if we plan to sustain and make it through the storms of life. Verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? And then Jesus dropped the mic, right? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house. He couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation, the river crashed again, it and immediately it collapsed and the destruction of that house was great. Jesus is the solid rock. Jesus is the firm foundation. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected and that's the warning. Reject the cornerstone and expect the storm to but build your life on the rock and expect deliverance. But please don't misunderstand deliverance. This is so important. Deliverance does not mean the absence of a storm. Deliverance means that you're still standing after the flood comes, after the wind blows, after the rains crash against you. Deliverance means you made it That's what Jesus said. If you build your life on the firm foundation, on the rock that is Christ Jesus, he did not say the storm will go around you. He said when the storm comes through, you will make it and you will still be standing. We too often mistake the promise of deliverance as a way and a mean of escape. Deliverance does not always mean escape very often means that when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you, the rivers, they won't overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be scorched and the flame will not burn you. When when waters rise and the floods come, it's evident where you have built your house, where you've placed your trust. It does not require guessing because when the storm comes, if you're still standing, everyone can see the house that stands and the house that collapses doesn't require judgment, it's evident. Either you're still standing or you're washed away. Storms will come. Storms will come. The psalmist said it rains on the just and the unjust. It rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. It rains on the wicked and the good, the good and the bad. Storms don't care who you are or where you're from or who your daddy is. Storms storm right now. I need you to hear me church. I need you to hear this. Your survival isn't dependent on your strength. It's dependent on the strength of your foundation. Where you build matters. Why you call me Lord, Lord, if you're not going to do what I say? Do you want to survive the storm? Do you want to make it follow how I live build your life on the and build your house on the teachings, the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus not only will you survive the storm but those around you will look and say that house made it what do I need to do to stand when the storm The answer is your Redeemer. It's Jesus. Build your life on the rock, Christ Jesus. Not only can you survive the storm, you will survive the storm. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. I pray, Lord Jesus, This morning, who are facing a storm, who are facing a trial, who are facing winds and fire and flood and rising tide. I pray in the name of Jesus that they would recognize that their hope is not in themselves, their hope is in you. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is store storm. that lifted their hand i pray for each person that lifted their hand lord you know the storms that they're facing and the wind can be blowing and the wind may be blowing and it may feel like hurricane force winds it may feel like the floods are rising and the My hope in you. I place my trust in you. I place my storm's bad enough, they name it. Maybe you just need to name your storm and then give it to God. God, this storm is, this storm is in my marriage, or this storm is in my finances, or this storm is in my